The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Well, good afternoon, everyone on the East Coast, and good morning on the West Coast. I'm Patricia Raskin for Patricia Raskin Positive Living, right here on voiceamerica.com. Today we're talking about our brain, and you may not know this, but if you can change your brain the way your brain works, you can change your life. My guest is Dr. Rick Hansen, Ph.D., who is a neuropsychologist and meditation teacher. He's the co-founder of the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and Contemplative Wisdom. And Buddha's Brain, which is the name of his new book, The Practical Neuroscience of Happiness, Love, and Wisdom, Buddha's Brain draws on the latest research to show us how to stimulate and strengthen our brain for more fulfilling relationships, a deeper spiritual life, and a greater sense of inner confidence and worth. Welcome, Rick. Thank you. Hi. You know, here's my first question out of the box, and that is that, and I have had this so I I can attest to it, and I know that there are thousands and millions of people who had it, so I'm not alone, and that is that when we worry or we get upset or something's upsetting us in our life, the brain does that rumination where it goes over and over, Mm -hmm. and the self-talk comes on, and even though there's another voice that says, now stop this, you know, stop this. I mean, it's not doing you any good, and stop. It will. It can continue. Now, how does Buddha's brain? How does that help us so that we actually can change that? Sure. Well, the basic idea is if you imagine, uh, you know, what's going on in the brain of someone who's really happy, you know, has a lot of mental health and is loving and, and kind to others, and I use the Buddha as an example of that. Obviously, there are many, many other people uh, who've lived and who live today who are good examples of you know, being caring and wise and happy. Uh, if you understand what's happening inside the brain of someone who's doing that, then you can kind of work backwards and uh, activate those brain states inside yourself. For example, uh, if a person's worrying, one of the things that's happening is that the, there's what's called an affiliation system in the brain. This is what we use to attach to those we love, like mothers and children, fathers and children, mm-hmm. mates to each other, friends to each other, uh, and so forth. And when that affiliation system is activated, we feel contented, and we don't worry so much, and we don't feel so angry at the world because either. Because we feel connected. Yeah, we feel connected. So the trick then is to start by connecting to yourself. It's like a trick inside your own brain so if you tune into yourself, you're then connecting to yourself and you're actually giving your brain deep down the experience that you had when you were a little kid and you were cuddled up in a warm blanket and someone was nice to you or you're at your grandmother's house and eating her cookies or whatever. In other how words, do you do that for yourself, Rick? Number one, what do you f- tune into your body? Usually what happens when people are spinning in their mind and ruminating, yes. they're not very aware of their own body. 
So notice what it feels like to breathe, for starters. Cool air going in, warm air going out. No big deal. It's not like being in a cave in Tibet. You could do it anytime, driving, in a meeting, late at night when you can't sleep. Just what are you feeling in your body? And also, what are you feeling deep down emotionally? Again, very often when people ruminate, they're not actually in touch with their deeper feelings. There's like a surface worry, but they're not accessing what really is concerning them, what really is going on, which might be that they feel hurt deep down or that um, truly they, or deep down they feel misunderstood. The second thing to do besides tuning into yourself is to give yourself what's called self-compassion. This is a hot area of research these days. It's the idea that we can, we can have compassion for others, sure. In other words, we can wish that they not suffer. You know, we can wish that the kid who falls and scrapes his knee you know, not have such a big alley. But we can also give that same quality of goodwill and tender concern to ourselves. Mm. You know, for example, by just thinking about, first of all, being with someone who really loves us, which stirs up those feelings initially, and then direct them to ourselves. And that actually activates this so-called affiliation system, mm. which then makes you feel connected and grounds the worrying. You know, it's like we, it's interesting how people, when people ruminate, they're usually alone, right? Or they feel alone. Yes. But when we feel connected, our mind doesn't keep spinning the way it does when we feel alone. Do you think that watching movies that are loving and beautiful, do you think that that helps with that? As long as it doesn't stir up painful longings that feel frustrated and hopeless. Mm, you mean like they have it and I don't? Yeah, exactly right. Or why, why, did, why, why could she get her guy or why could he get his gal and I can't? Mm. Uh, exactly. Or why do they have a happy family, obviously with neurotic features that makes for a good holiday comedy, but why do they have a family and I don't? You know, um, where people often feel connected is with pets mm-hmm. or um, with other people in their life. Uh, one way to feel connected to others is to be of service to them, which I'm always looking for something we can do ourselves. You know, there's so much in life that makes us feel helpless. And so I think it's really incredibly important um, to do what we can, right? And one thing we can do in our life to feel more connected to others is to be caring toward them. Because if we're caring toward them, that'll help us feel connected to them. Mm. And giving. Mm-hmm. Caring and giving. giving. And often in little ways, just a little way, like taking a moment to listen to a friend. Or, you know, if you person has a synagogue or church or what have you, um, to uh, do a little community service or help out in the school. Uh, or just, you know, hang out with a neighborhood who needs a, an ear. Any, any little form of, of caring, or just stroke your cat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to make you feel better and more connected if you're caring with others. Yeah. And it, act, it really does activate these ancient attachments yeah, it was, it was in the brain. It was interesting when you said that I have to share something personal. I was speaking recently to a clergy person, and I was just sharing my feelings about just faith and what I had been through, and he was so understanding and so caring. I know that's his role, but... I really felt that connection, and it just held me for quite some time after that. It was just feeling so understood yeah. and so um, such a deep, you know, and, and, and a tradition and heritage connection, too. It was really very special, and I noticed that I felt very satisfied for quite some time after that. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That such a seemingly everyday yeah. sort of event could have such a big ripple effect. Yeah. 
Yeah, which makes me feel that I have to get more involved because it, it, it does that much for me. So, yes, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the other question that I have is when you talk about, you know, loving yourself and really being there for yourself, what do you say to people, Rick, who are living alone, who have had a lot of disappointments, who keep trying, you know, whether it's the job or whether it's mm-hmm. to find the right relationship or whether it's to work on their health, mm-hmm. and they get discouraged. What do you say to them? I'd say start with self-compassion, honestly, which begins with, you know, like putting a hand on your cheek or a hand on your heart. Not always, but that's something you can do. And then basically starting with, ow, this hurts. This, I hope it's okay to say this on the air. This, well, I'd say it this way, this is rotten. This is a drag. Ouch. This is, it's too bad that it's like this. That's not self-pity. It's more just recognizing for yourself what you would do with a dear friend. If you had a dear friend who was in that pickle, you would say, wow, this is not good. We've got to start right there. It's too bad that this has happened, and I'm sorry this has happened. I wish this hadn't happened for you. That's, the, that's self-compassion right there. That's, yeah. that's where I think it's really, really and important. And how does that change the chemistry of the brain is the yeah. question. It, it activates that affiliation system. In other words, it activates uh, that attachment affiliation system. Yeah. When you give yourself what you hopefully got when you were a kid and should have got it uh, if you didn't, if you give yourself that, the bottom line is your brain is still receiving it. Mm-hmm. See? Whether it comes from the outside or it comes from the inside, your brain is still receiving it. Sure. It's best if it comes from the outside often because then it has a special power. But guess what? We don't have that much control over what comes to us from the outside. We can do what we can to ask for what we need in skillful ways, et cetera, et cetera. But where we have a lot of influence is what we do inside our heads ourselves. In other words, you know, it's, we, you know, bottom line is, are we going to get up off the floor? <laughs> you know, life yeah. decks us yeah. sometimes. Are we going to get up and eat for ourselves? about exercising, swimming, movement, yoga in terms of the endorphins in the brain? That helps, too, but I, I do want to highlight this point of self-compassion because that's really something that people often skip, you yeah. know, but it's something you can really do. Then second, sure, it's interesting. There's a lot of research these days. Uh, I wish it weren't true because I don't like to exercise. I like to play. I don't like to exercise, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. tons of research these days about how exercise lifts mood, and they've actually done some amazing recent studies, of course, with rats, but they have emotional systems a lot like our own in the brain, how regular exercise buffers against stress. In other words, it protects against stress. It makes people resilient for the tough knocks of life to have some kind of exercise background, including pretty, like you say, easy stuff. Go for a walk. I go for a walk in the hills above my house, uh, vigorous walk. Um, People can go swimming, walk the dog, uh, go for a walk with a friend. You know, all those are things that people can do without, you know, putting on spandex and going to the gym. Mm All right. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, tell people how they can find out about your book and any workshops that you present. Sure. No, right now. Oh, oh, sure. <laughs> we, uh, we don't have a book. Uh, well, the book we is Buddhist Brain. It's break. available at bookstores everywhere, also Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you know, et cetera. Uh, it's doing well. It's been endorsed by a lot of scholars and a lot of teachers and a lot of psychologists, so mm-hmm. it's a very solid book, and it's very practical. That's the thing that I really wanted to do. I wanted to take the cutting-edge neuroscience combined with the ancient wisdom of contemplative practice, put them together and boil it down into practical things people can do in everyday life to change their own brain from the inside out. So that's, that's the book itself. And then if they want to see my teaching schedule, they can go to my website. Just click buddhasbrain.com, 
buddhasbrain.com. That will take them to my website, go to my calendar, and they'll see the workshops and lectures I do. All right. My guest is Rick Hansen, Ph.D. His book is Buddha's Brain, The Practical Neuroscience of Happiness, Love, and Wisdom. Rick Hansen is a neuropsychologist and meditation teacher. He's co-founder of the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and Contemplative Wisdom, and he edits the Wise Brain Bulletin. You're listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on voiceamerica.com. Stay tuned. There's more. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guests jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america hey dad what i can't get the ketchup bottle open Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi everyone, we are back. You are listening to Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on VoiceAmerica.com. And we are talking about the brain. We're talking about how to retrain our brain and change it so that we can change our life. My guest is Rick Hansen, Ph.D. His book is Buddha's Brain, The Practical Neuroscience of Happiness, Love, and Wisdom. Rick Hansen is a neuropsychologist and meditation teacher. He's co-founder of the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and Contemplative Wisdom and edits The Wise Brain. And welcome back, Rick. Thank you. Um, tell us how to, what the website is, please. Oh, sure. Buddha'sBrain.com. That'll take you to my personal website, uh, Buddha'sBrain.com. That's easy. Easy. You know, you say that your brain is like Velcro for negative experiences, which yeah. means it really sticks. Yeah. And then Teflon, which means it bounces right off and forgets for positive ones. Yes. That's really true. And the reason is that, um, as science understands, when we evolved, it was a lot more important for our ancestors to pay attention to negative events than it was to pay attention to positive ones. Positive ones matter. You know, think about carrots and sticks. It's important to go get those carrots, 
But if you miss a carrot today, you'll probably have a chance of one tomorrow. But if you fail to avoid a stick today, whap, you probably are not going to get another chance at a carrot tomorrow. So, for example, in relationships, studies have shown that on the average it takes about five positive interactions to make up for just one negative one. Yeah. Or, for example, at the end of the day, talking about, you know, what do people ruminate about, of the 99 good things that happened in the day, what do we think about? Mm. It's the one thing that didn't go well. Mm. All right? And so that's what the brain does. So the bottom line is that it's really great for keeping animals alive in the wild, but we've got a caveman brain in the 21st century. And uh, it's up to us to actually train that brain to go in a different direction. Mother Nature cares about, you know, gene copies. She doesn't care about quality of life. So the solution is... Yes, so I mean, if we have an inherent bias toward the negative, then how do we hope to change it in a long-lasting way? Yeah, exactly. Um, The solution is what I call taking in the good. That's the fourth chapter of my book, which I break it down into three basic steps with a fourth optional step. The first step is to turn positive facts into positive experiences. In other words, someone compliments you. Actually feel it, right? Or it's a beautiful day. Notice it and let yourself feel it. Mildly, usually. Mild happiness, but it's real happiness. Second step is to really savor it. Make it last. There's a saying in brain science, neurons that fire together, wire together. The longer they fire and the more of them that fire, the more you're going to get wiring, the more you're going to build structure inside your brain. Because literally what you think builds structure inside your brain Mm. for better or worse. So focus on positive experiences and really let them fill your body, let them make them last 20, 30 seconds to really get those neurons firing together, to make the brain become like, you know, Velcro for positive experiences. Mm. All right, but now we live in a very highly stressful time. Many people are anxious about their economic future, then all you have to do is turn on the news, and then you can get more fired up and stressed. So what's your advice there, Rick? Well, like I was saying, the third step is to really feel like it's sinking in. In other words, that it's sticking to your ribs and not, um, you know, washing over you like, you know, it is on Teflon. And the reason that that helps when you're dealing with tough times is because, yes, it's important to pay attention to threats and and problems and, you know, read the news and make plans and make a budget and tighten your belt or look for another job or whatever it is a person needs to do. But on the other hand, if we take in these positive experiences, and every day has a dozen little positive experiences a person can take Mm -hmm. in, that's how you build, studies have shown, that's how you build resilience. That's how you build self-confidence. Mm-hmm. That's how you start to believe in yourself, and you have more, more shock absorbers, right, and more internal supplies you can draw on when ty- times get tough. Mm, absolutely. But, you know, there are certain things in life that cannot be avoided, like disease and old age. And But then there are other life situations that you say that we choose to look upon as sad events, so it's important, then, that we need to change our perspective of these events. That's really true. And some, um, sometimes a person might think that what I'm saying is to, you know, have a kind of Pollyanna, rose-colored glasses view. I, I say totally not that. I, I think it's really important to see what's true and to see real threats out there, no doubt about it. On the other hand, and it's, and it's natural, of course, to feel bad if you lose a parent or, or, or you get... Um, uh, fired or laid off in some corporate downsizing, shipping jobs overseas or whatnot. It's normal to feel bad about that. But after you have felt bad in, you know, to a degree that's sort of inevitable and useful, then I think it's time to move on, get back up off the mat, and do what you can to make your own life better. Bottom line, if you think about it, there are three places a person can act to make their life better. Out there in the world, in here in their body, or in here in their mind. 
and all are really, really important. That said, the place where you have the most power and you have also the most lasting and results is inside your own mind, mm-hmm. which is interesting. It's often where people don't act. They, yeah. they struggle out there in the world trying to get blood from the stone or they you know, try to hassle with their body, which never seems to weigh the right amount and doesn't want to go exercise, but they leave their mind alone. But the mind is where their thoughts, their feelings, mm-hmm. their views, their wants, their emotional so, dynamics. So speaking of the mind, mm-hmm. I know that you're really an, an expert in working with the mind and mind techniques and meditation. Can you take us through a mindfulness technique that could be used any time that stress hits. Sure. For example, um, you know, doing a thing where you literally pay attention to simply the cool air going in and the warm air going out. As simple as that sounds, it actually will build structure in a part of the brain called the insula, which tracks the internal state of your body, but it also tracks your gut feelings. So this way you'll become more aware of what you really feel, which is important. But also, wonderfully, the insula is uh, involved with empathy for other people. So if you want to be a more effective salesperson or parent or mate or lover or just be able to understand people better, the great place to start is to tune into your own body and to do it systematically. If you do it for a minute a day, that's great. One minute, you know, I tell people, promise yourself that you'll always meditate one minute a day or more before you go to sleep and just keep that as a vow. And... Of course, the more you do, it's like any kind of weight, you know, exercise, right? The more you lift the weights, the more you go for walks, the better the results will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The more you do the simple mindfulness practice of just following the sensations of breathing inside your body, in and out, in and out, in and out, you know, letting other thoughts come and go, not trying to fight other thoughts or struggle with them, but continuing to return attention to, the, to your breathing, um, you're going to benefit yourself. You're also going to train your attention. Studies have shown that if people practice these kind of attentional things where you bring attention like to breathing, you strengthen your ability to pay attention and control your attention in an ADD world. Interesting. You also write that the brain is very powerful and has natural capacities toward intimacy. Mm. So if that's really true, then why do so many of us feel misunderstood and why is there so much loneliness and conflict? That's exactly right. Uh, it's, a beauti- it's a deep question, isn't it? I mean, we evolved to... Um, be altruistically cooperative and loving toward us, but fearfully aggressive toward them. And that's the brutal truth. It's the old saying is, you know, in the heart are two wolves, one of love and one of hate. And it all depends on which one we feed every day. Because we all have a wolf of hate. And where the wolf of hate gets going and why people don't understand each other is usually when they feel threatened in some way. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it's, it's true out there in the world that a lot of people maybe don't understand us the way I look at that is that first, um, try to understand other people. I think you know that's a good place to start because that's under your power. You can't make them understand you, but you can understand them and express that understanding. And that's a great odd strategy to get more understanding from other people. The second thing is you can ask people to try to understand you. In other words, empathy is, is a want. You can ask someone to put the dishes in the dishwasher mm. in a better way. You can also ask your appropriately. You know, your, your, your spouse, um, your, your partner, uh, your friend, your parent, your child, whatever, you can ask for more empathy. And then they'll do what they do, and you've got to come to terms with what they do and, or don't do, and then turn toward other people who are going to give you more empathy. Um, I think that it's not a perfect world. I, again, it's not pie in the science guy that I'm talking about, but my own view is that um, there, there's, you, there's always something a person can do, you know, 
there's always something a person can do. The other thing I'd have to say is one reason why a lot of us don't get much empathy, truthfully, is we're kind of snarky or we're guarded or we don't open our hearts. Yes. You know, you want to get empathy, open your heart, and don't blast the other person out of the water. You know, the, the classic uh, structure, it's a wonderful structure, is, you know, when X happened uh, or happens, I feel Y because I need Z. In other words, when you keep putting the dishes in the dishwasher uh, in, a, in, the, you know, in that way you do and then they get broken, I feel frustrated and mad because I need to feel like when you make an agreement with me, you're actually going to take it as seriously as the agreements you make at work. Do you think, Rick, that gratitude and gratefulness has something to do with this? I mean, so many people I interview and so many of the books say that it's really important to be grateful. And when you are, no matter, even if you're struggling, you look at what's working in your life, that when you do that, more good comes in. I think gratitude is incredibly wonderful. I focus a lot on I have a wonderful little newsletter, if I may say so myself, called Just One Thing. It's a free weekly newsletter. You can see it on my website. Um, and basically it has a simple practice every week that a person can do just in the back of their mind kind of privately to make their life better. And one of them in the very first issues I did was be grateful. You know, gratitude is, I mean, wonderful. The thing about it, though, overall, is that in a way what I'm, you know, I've been a therapist for a long, long time. It's made me more compassionate, but it's also made me tougher-minded. And the point is that, honestly, there's a lot of stuff we've got to do ourselves. We've got to get up off the mat, get up off the floor, help ourselves, and then make a difference in our own life. And a great place to start is inside our own brain. Mm. All right. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, We have a couple of minutes. So tell us again how people can find your book and your work. Oh, sure. Thank you. The book is called Buddha's Brain, the Practical Neuroscience of Happiness, Love, and Wisdom. It's a practical how-to manual that's based on science about what you can do yourself in the most important organ in your body, which is the source of everything you think and feel, hope and fear and dream. You can get that book anywhere, and you can also go to my website through buddhasbrain.com. Okay, and then if, and you do teach courses around the country or mostly on the West Coast? Actually on the East Coast as well. I'm going to do several different courses there in March just coming up. So if people look at the calendar on my website, they'll see everything they need to see. Okay. And if they sign up for the newsletter, they'll, uh, I'll, I'll, they'll be informed from, you know, of when I'm doing things. All right. My guest is Dr. Rick Hansen, Ph.D. His book is The Practical Neuroscience of Happiness, Love, and Wisdom. That's the subtitle. The title is Buddha's Brain. And Dr. Rick Hansen is a neuropsychologist and meditation teacher. He's the co-founder of the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and Contemplative Wisdom, and he edits the Wise Brain the Wise Brain Bulletin. And folks, you can also write to me, Patricia at patriciaraskin.com, and I'd love to put you on my newsletter list. I have amazing guests on that really help you to change the quality of your life. And that's what this is all about. It's about turning your obstacles into opportunities and your problems into solutions and really making your dreams come true. And it's possible. And if you can change your brain, as Dr. Rick Hansen says, you can change your life. Again, the book is Buddha's Brain. You can log on to Buddha'sBrain.com. You're listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. We have another segment, so stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Ask the 
experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. I can take care of myself. I can make a peanut butter sandwich. I can brush my teeth and I can give myself a bath. I can walk home alone from school. I can pick dinner from the trash behind the deli. I can watch the baby for the whole weekend. I can keep a baseball bat by my bed just in case there's trouble. Don't worry about me. I can take care of myself. If you're in jail, who'll be there to take care of your family? Something to think about before committing a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi everybody, we are back. You are listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. We are talking to Dr. Rick Hansen, PhD, who's the author of Buddha's Brain, The Practical Neuroscience of Happiness, Love, and Wisdom. Dr. Rick Hansen is a neuropsychologist and meditation teacher. He's the co-founder of the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and Contemplative Wisdom. Welcome back, Rick. All right, so let's talk more about what you teach people. You know, you say in Buddha's brain that calm is good, but equanimity is better. So what's the difference between those two? (laughs) You read my book carefully. Um, It's great. I appreciate that. I always appreciate when someone does. Uh, It doesn't always happen. Let's see. Well, calm is not having any reaction, all right? That's, that's good. Calm's pretty good compared to being upset or mad, right? Yeah. Or sad or, or worrying a lot. Uh, on the other hand, equanimity means something more fundamental. It means that you're not reacting to your reactions. Mm-hmm. And it may sound a little technical, and the word itself is pretty fancy, equanimity, right? It sounds like a vocabulary word for the SAT, probably. <laughs> is. But, you know, it really gets to something deep. In other words, the idea is, is that the brain is constantly generating a signal as to whether your experience is pleasant or unpleasant. Mm-hmm. In other words, yeah, is it pleasurable or, or you know, painful, in other words. And if it's um, pleasurable, then what the brain does, it says, oh, okay, go get that carrot, right? And if it's painful, the brain says, woo, stay away from that stick. Mm-hmm. And that kept us alive in Africa, that's all. Okay, fine. But the problem is, is that a lot of times the brain pulses these signals to, to situations that are either not that great, even though it's saying, ooh, 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 pleasant, 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 have that third glass of wine, pleasant, 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 have that fifth chocolate candy bar, right? Or it says, oh, watch out, it's unpleasant for something that, you know, it's just a fact. It doesn't need to be something that's upsetting or unpleasant. And then we react to it. What equanimity is, is like a mental shock absorber. In other words, the reactions arise, this is pleasant, that is unpleasant, but then they hit the shock absorber, and we don't have to get upset about them. We don't have to get upset that it's 
unpleasant, or we don't have to get all kind of greedy and addicted if it's pleasant. We just let it be what it is. And that's what equanimity is. I think of it as the mudroom, mm-hmm. frankly. I've been in, I all live right, in the now West. what about this? Mm-hmm. What about people who thrive on the excitement? It's almost that addiction, you know, oh, the adrenaline goes and they're excited and things are going. And as long as things are moving and things are exciting, things are great. Now there may be a day when things aren't exciting. It's calm. It's quiet. You don't have a lot going on. And then for some people that are used to that, it's like, oh, the world is ending. So it's almost like trying to get in balance of those two states. Right. So, what so the, you... question, the question is, well, how do you then create the balance in the middle mm-hmm. so that you're not just thriving on the excitement oh and the movement as opposed to getting depressed or down when, when you don't see something on the horizon immediately? Right. I think that's a wonderful question. I, I think you're right. There's a sweet spot where we let ourselves feel vital and passionate about really, really good things, but we continually deepen our... I think of it as like a sailboat. You know, you know like I was sailing one time and the boat capsized because I did something lame, and it had no keel, so the least gust of wind just tipped it right over. But if you've got a sailboat with a deep keel in the water, the winds can blow pretty hard and they won't tip you over. Equanimity is a deep keel in the water. So I think of it also like a big sports team, like, you know, the Indianapolis Colts these days or the New England Patriots. You know, when they win, they, they enjoy it. When they lose, they don't like it. But in, but in both cases, they keep, they keep it even. You know what I mean? They don't get all tilted either way. And I think that's how people build resilience over time. You know, keep sailing in a direction that's positive, but don't let your boat get tipped over by super pleasant or super unpleasant. Mm, and that's what helps to keep it in the middle. Yeah, exactly right. And I think that's, again, I think like I was going to say, the equanimity is like a mudroom. You know, on the East Coast, they have these mudrooms where you come in from the outside and, um, you know, that's where you put your galoshes and your mud and stuff like that. But it doesn't get into the house itself. Equanimity is like the mudroom in the mind. You observe it. You see the reactions there. But you tell yourself, I don't have to react to this reaction. And that was incredibly freeing for me personally Mm. when I realized I did not have to react to my own reactions. I could just let them be there like they're in a space. And not get sucked in with believing them. That's the hard part. That's right. You know, not buying into them in a sense. Can you give us some more exercises that we can do for our brain to help us? To anything in particular? Well, I think just to bring more happiness, love, and wisdom in our life. Yeah. Um, Let's see. What would be really, I think, well, I'll tell you one thing is dialing down the stress meter and everybody talks about it. Stress is like the weather, I think. Everybody talks about it, but people don't usually do much about it. And yet, long-term, stress is really pernicious. It's really bad for the body and the mind. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you when, a few things you can do. There's a, there's a system in the brain called the parasympathetic nervous system. It's the rest and digest, you know, soothe and, uh, <laughs> soothing part of the nervous system. Here are a few ways to do it. One is exhale. Focus on exhaling. The parasympathetic nervous system handles exhaling. So when you exhale, you calm down the fight-or-flight sympathetic nervous system. Second thing to do is appropriately touch your mouth. You know, find some discreet way to do it. Don't suck your thumb in the middle of a business meeting, right? But touch your mouth. Um, That's a great way to help yourself go to sleep. Put a knuckle on your lip because, again, parasympathetic fibers are all over your mouth. 
Another one is to yawn. Mm. Just make yourself yawn. It handles yawning. Yawning generates a big exhalation. Yawning helps you relax as well. Um, those are those are quickies that a person can do right in the middle of daily life, you know, to feel better. Um, I'd say one more thing, just in terms of relationships, that I think is really important, is to be really careful about distinguishing between us and them. Sure, there are differences in the world, men and women, you know, Americans and French people or whatever, you know what I mean, red states and blue states. But as soon as you make a distinction, the wolf of hate gets up and starts looking around for a threat. Mm -hmm. You mean like all men do this and all women do that? Oh, my God, as soon as you do that, be really careful. Maybe they do, but watch out, because as soon as you set up an us and them, as soon as you set up an us and them, the wolf of hate starts looking around. It's a yellow flag instantly. And so if you're going to do it, do it, but do it under yellow flag alert. And now, be very uh, careful. Explain that phrase, the wolf of hate. Yeah. It's the idea that deep down inside we, we learn to handle threats. In other words, this goes to that negativity bias I was talking about, where you, you know, the Velcro for negative experiences. So the wolf of hate is there to help us handle threats. And when we evolved, we evolved in bands that bred together, usually 50 to 150 people. And they, these bands competed very intensely with other bands for scarce resources in Africa over millions and millions of years. And so bands that, that passed on their genes got really, really good at teamwork and love with us and intense conflict with them. So we have those tendencies inside ourselves, and I think it's important to acknowledge them, right? That's the wolf of hate. The question is, do we just let, if you look at the world right now, the wolf of hate is amok, right? The wolf of hate is everywhere. It's, you know, building nuclear weapons in the Middle East. It's, you know, rattling the sabers of war. You see it on cable TV, you know what I mean? The wolf of hate, conflict, argument, you know, contempt for the, uh, the person who's other, putting them down, you know, generalizations, that's the wolf of hate at work every day. And so that's what I mean. I think step one is to tell the truth. Everybody has a wolf of hate. The question is, like that ancient Native American teaching, what will you do? In other words, which wolf will you feed, which wolf will you You know, are? I want to, something you just said about tell the truth. Yeah. A lot of people, Rick, have secrets. Either they're, you know, they're cheating themselves, they're cheating on their taxes, they're cheating on their spouses, they're, you know, they're just, they just live, they have that whole, like, secret life. What do you say about that? Uh, mm, I think telling the truth to yourself is where you have to start. Yeah. And then um, if there's someone else, even a priest, let's say, or a therapist or a lawyer or a very trusted friend who you absolutely trust, uh, and will never regret talking to, um, try to tell the truth to somebody else. I mean, it, you're right. There's a phrase in psychology called family secrets. Oftentimes it's the family that has the secret, and then somebody ends up bearing that secret painfully. Yeah, isn't that a very detrimental thing? It's very detrimental. Home. It could be that, you know, that maybe you're this, you know, grandma had a drinking problem, but nobody mentioned it, or that, you know, creepy uh, boyfriend Bob was always hitting on Big Sister Sue, yeah. or anything like that, um, and uh, you know those bearing those is really really bad for people. That's why I think you know telling the truth. I think you're really astute here, Patricia, that this is really really important. Yeah. All right. We have a couple minutes left. What would you What would you like to close with? And one comment I do want to make when we talk about empathy and intimacy and telling the truth. President Obama often talks about empathy as an important character attribute. So talk a little about empathy before we close today. Sure. Empathy, um, and it's, you know, of course, 
I appreciate the fact that we have a president actually talking about it because I think in the world at large, empathy is incredibly important. Um, but empathy is important in the most intimate or basic relationships because it's simply how we understand other people. It doesn't mean we agree with them. This is really important, both on the world stage and in you know our bedroom and we're across the dining room table or with our, our kid's teacher in school. It doesn't mean we agree with the other person or that we're waiving our rights, but it means we get how it is for them. We understand what they think, but most importantly, we understand why they think that way. In other words, why they feel the way they do, how they feel, and what they want. That tells us why they think that way. So if you want to know a couple ways to do it, uh, one is to really look into people's eyes. You don't want to stare at them or make them creeped out, right? Mm -hmm. But we have these ancient systems whereby we are very affected by what we see in other people's eyes. You know, make a little more eye contact. That will give you tons of information about what that other person is feeling. Second thing to do, tune into yourself. As I was saying in the, earlier on, if you tune into your own body, you're going to build up the insula, which is going to help you tune into the emotions of other people because it lights up when you sense emotions in others just like you sense emotions inside yourself. And then the third thing to do is to ask yourself questions you know, in a real way. Try to dig down beneath the surface. Why are they acting the way they are? You, particularly if it's something that's bugging you, yeah. right? Try to understand it. And then if you can, express your empathy. You don't always have to express empathy. The other person will often, as it says, feel felt. We all want to feel felt. And very often that's what people want most, you know. And if you give them that feeling of being felt, then they won't be so angry with you. So true. And, and, feel, and they'll feel accepted in many ways. Yeah. All right. Closing thoughts. How, what would you like to leave our listeners with if they get one thing out of this interview on Buddha's brain and the practical neuroscience of happiness, love, and wisdom? There's a lot in this world we can't do anything about. Global events, our company, people in our family. But there is a lot in this world we can do something about. And most of it is right between our ears, where we can take steps that gradually over time will change our own brain for the better from the inside out. And uh -huh. any person can do that. You don't need to be a brain scientist. You don't need to be a, a monk. You can do that in real terms, in real life, from the inside out. You just need to know how. And that's what my book's all about. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, thank you. Stay on the line. My guest has been Dr. Rick Hansen, Ph.D. His book is Buddha's Brain, The Practical Neuroscience of Happiness, Love, and Wisdom. And again, you can log on to buddhasbrain.com. Folks, that wraps up another session of Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on voiceamerica.com. We'll be with you next week, wishing you a wonderful holiday season. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, write to me, Patricia at patriciaraskin.com, and I'll send you my newsletter. Stay tuned until next week. I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's book, Pathfindings, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com. And tune in next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.